Securities and advisory services offered through National Planning Corporation member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rick Saylor Financial and MPC are separate and unrelated companies. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that have been deemed to be reliable, but its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. Neither MPC nor Rick Seller Financial accept any liability for the use of the information discussed. Consult with a qualified financial, legal, or tax professional prior to taking any action. Diversification helps you spread risk throughout your portfolio, so investments that do poorly may be balanced by others that do relatively better. Neither diversification nor rebalancing can ensure a profit or protect against a loss. Well, I'm Rick. And I'm Eric. And we are your transparent wealth management host. Welcome to our show. And another happy Friday in the summer to you, my friend. Happy Friday to you. What we call them Froggy Fridays? Froggy Fridays, and that's, yeah, my voice is feeling a little bit. That's uh, that's probably, you know, one of my bad habits is smoking cigars occasionally, and the last couple of days I've been doing more than I normally do. <laughs> it so, tastes uh, good, though. You know what? I'll just have to take some more time off and put a little more space between them. That's right. <laughs> that's on next, everything next Friday. In, everything in moderation, my friend. That's what it is. So well, it's, uh, it's good to be back. I know you've been listening. Uh, you've been following our shows, and, and the financial plan is the summer series. And actually doing a financial plan, find out where you're at. Well, you'll know that we did a couple encore presentations, one for the holiday. Hope everybody had a patriotic and lovely July 4th. I know I did. My wife and Kim and I were in Hawaii, and we were at Pearl Harbor uh, on the 4th, which was a very moving experience. And if you've not done that, put that on your list because it was incredible. I mean, I just, uh, the patriotism... The sentiment that I felt about that entire thing is very moving. You said it took you, what, a little over five hours you spent there? Yeah, and I mm. could easily spend probably a couple more hours because they, uh, you know, we the Arizona is the one you get you get free tickets for, but they give you a ticket at like 1 o'clock, and we were there at 9.30 in the morning. So you go around, and we saw the, uh, went to the Missouri, USS Missouri, which is where the Japanese surrendered. Hmm. Um, and it had all that footage, and then that plane, that ship had actually gotten hit by a kamikaze pilot, and they had they showed us the spot on the plane where it hit it. Really? Yeah, and showed the footage of where how it came in, kind of in an angle, mm-hmm. and he spun around, and the plane landed up on the deck. But, you know, wasn't any other damage. So uh, just fascinating, totally fascinating experience. Went to the, the the little Air Force base over there, and I met a guy, Dick. Uh, Sorry, Dick, I'm going to mess up your name here. But um, Dick was a survivor from Pearl Harbor. Hmm. And I got a couple pictures of him. Is he living there now? I guess he still lives in Hawaii, but he was sitting there and just, you know, photo opping and Mm -hmm. talking with people. And it was just an incredible, incredible experience to look at all the armaments and the whole story. And uh, felt a little odd with, you know, some of the... Japanese present, not knowing what, you know what they thought if if they were thinking the same thing, you know, in terms of patriotism for the Americans and or or remorse because of that. But uh, as I was saying before the show started, talking with Brad, the technician, saying you know, hey, uh, Midway came several months after that, and paybacks are, uh... you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we took out three of their four carriers, so. Anyhow, just uh, just uh, I had a great. What you what yeah. you do on the fourth? The fourth of July. What I do? I just actually had a cookout and grill it at my house. My neighbors. I've never big in, never been big into buying fireworks and spending hundreds of bucks on them. So my neighbor behind me always spends probably thousands of dollars on them and blows off some big ones. I get to watch them for free, and I have no cleanup in my yard, and I go about my business afterwards. <laughs> so yeah. I had my wife's family over and. It was actually perfect weather. It wasn't terribly hot. It wasn't cold. It wasn't raining, which that comes uh, 
quite often here in Cincinnati. So it was a good, relaxing Fourth of July weekend. It wasn't well, as relaxing as the Hawaiian beaches, but hey, I'll, I'll take it for Cincinnati. Hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And if you if you haven't been to Hawaii and been to uh, Molokai, that is a pristine, unspoiled island. It's ten miles wide and thirty-eight miles long, and there's one traffic light on the whole island. One. So if you want to go see real old Hawaii, that's it. And is we spent most of our time there. A couple days uh, we spent on Oahu. My wife's family had a family reunion. So I uh, met with some of them. Same same time period we saw the uh, Salt Pearl Harbor and I jumped over to the Big Island with a client and friend of ours, Karen. Yep. Um, she had work to do, you know. Always. Spent time with her, went over some of her stuff. And um, thanks again, Karen, for being such a great hostess and a tour guide. We spent three days there, and then I, we had to come back to Molokai just to recover from all the sightseeing <laughs> before we came back. But I'm going to tell you what, you know, it was, it was a challenge for me with a six-hour time difference. It's a challenge for one or two hours, and then you got six hours on top of it and not even one full day to recover. No, and doing market report stuff every day. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. But I, it's always good to be back. Love to be back in the, uh, the saddles, they say, and... Because this is where I live and breathe. That's it. Yeah, so, you know, a couple things we ought to uh, kind of recap, Eric, is, is talking about, you know, what we've covered so far. Uh, and we've covered a lot here in this summer series. So you haven't, if you haven't caught those shows in the series, go back and catch that on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll replay or on a podcast. Yep. And catch either one of those. And it's on the, the Voice America website. Uh, and you can just listen to the whole series because we designed this for that purpose. And if you have questions, call us at 513-454-9999. We can answer those questions and help you complete your financial plan. Yep, That's what the summer series is about. It's, it's number one, creating a financial plan if you've never done one or if you have done one to update it. And then more importantly, why we're spending it. A different topic each week we're spending an hour on each topic is so you understand the importance of what goes into a financial plan because if you're not putting accurate information into a plan you're not going to get accurate information coming out of a plan so we want to make sure you understand what should and shouldn't go in and how your plan works you know you might think you know how your plan calculates return or calculates cash flow but in reality it could be a totally different program and you're thinking one way, and the programs were acting a different way. So it's just understanding it, and so you can input accurate information into your plan. It's an incredible tool. I mean, it's the most scientific approach. I don't know any other better way to do that. And all financial plans are not equal, all financial planning software. And this is the, the programs we use cost us over $10,000. Mm-hmm. And when we do a financial plan, somebody walks in and says, do one for me. Um, it's 500 bucks a minimum. So it's a base. So we're giving that away. We're giving that away to you so that you can see what's broken. You know, with us, you know, we're a holistic firm that does end-to-end solutions. So uh, that means we do investments that are both fee-based or commission. It's just a matter of finding what's broken and if finding the piece is best going to work for you. And the financial plan actually helps you discover that mm-hmm. and find out what that is. One of the other pieces that we do is tax planning. We partner with um, CPAs to accommodate the tax uh, planning service. It's both tax planning and preparation. The preparations, that's the actual filing of your tax return. The planning is 
going back, you know, three years, see if you made any mistakes. If you made mistakes, see if we can amend it and fix it. If we can't, for whatever reason, then we know what we that uh, what we don't have to step on in the future, so we're not paying unnecessary taxes and we're sheltering as much as we possibly can. And one of our upcoming shows, we're going to be talking about insurance. And in uh, risk management, you know, the liability that comes with that and carrying the right amount of coverage is what well, we have partners that do everything from life insurance, long term care, health insurance, Medicare planning. Uh, all those are key components in increasing your uh, making sure your coverage, you have the right coverage, you know, and you're paying a fair premium for it, not overpaying. And the last pillar is estate planning and elder law. So this is we partner with estate planning attorneys and elder law attorneys. So. When the day comes, you know, you've grown your assets, you've accumulated wealth. Let's now make sure that your loved ones are the main beneficiaries to your estate, not courts, attorneys, hospitals. So the our estate attorneys and elder law attorneys work with our clients to prepare their estate with the powers of attorneys and the living wills and the living trust. So, you know, that's the four main pillars of a financial plan or a financial planning process. Probably no better time to throw this little disclosure in that, of course, our show is educational in nature, doesn't constitute advice uh, for investments, tax or legal, and you should always consult with somebody who's a qualified financial, legal or tax or real estate professional prior to taking any actions, of course. And certain statements we're going to make may be forward-looking, but of course nobody has a crystal ball. Yep. Uh, and the opinions we express are our own, Rick Saylor and, um, and Eric Hamburg, Rick Saylor Financial, it's not our broker-dealer, NPC. Um, or any of the other affiliates. We're registered investment advisors as well. So I think those are important things to uh, to consider. And mm-hmm. because it's it, you get one chance to get this right, really. Yep. I mean, this is the rest of your life type of thing. And really, at the end, you think about it, a financial plan is, is about determining, are you going to outlive your money? Is your money going to outlive you? Yep. In simple terms. So again, recapping very quickly, when we look at your inflows, your budget, your inflows, your outflows. We covered that several weeks ago. We look at your portfolio, um, what your investments and what they're in and what they're yielding and what the risk is, what we're going to talk about today. Then we talk about um, your vision, values, and goals because no two people are exactly the same. Now, that one may be a little tricky when people are accessing the program. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do to get access to this is just send us your email. Yeah, send us an email with your email address, or you can call us with your email address at 513-454-9999. And what we do is we send you out a PDF form that's going to help you kind of collect all the information needed for a financial plan. And then we actually send you the link itself so you can log in online through the software, upload all your information. But we can't do that without an email address. But when you're starting to weigh out, like there's a, a list on one page of, okay, living expenses in retirement. And, uh, and then you've got these things that we consider, you know, you have to weigh out whether they're necessary, wants, you know, needs or wants, yep. I guess. And you're going to rank those from one to 10. Of what's important to you or what's not. And the higher important. you rank that, if you're eight, nine, 10, well, that's a need. If you're seven, six, five, that's, you know, yeah, that's a want, but you know, still kind of important. If you're down in, uh, you know, one through four category, it's not going to rank that very high, and the program is going to adjust for that. It's a long shot. It's going to sacrifice it if it has to to make you successful. Mm-hmm. So, so many other pieces. I know we talked about income sources and Social Security planning. Yep. Um, 
you know, but those these things all fit together. Now that that one you got to maybe spend a little more time on. Uh, we crammed about probably five hours worth of Social Security information into a what a fifty-two minute show. So you know, please ask for all when you go into our website, StraightTalkClearDecisions.com. We've got white papers and research reports on all these topics, but you got to go on and and ask for them, and we'll get them right out to you. And if it just seems a little overwhelming, give us a call. We'll spend 20 minutes on the phone with you, and we'll do that gratis and uh, and help you compile that so you can see where you stand and what your probability of success or failure is. Because what's really cool is at the end how that, that, that needle that looks like a speedometer, it reads between 40 and 99. If you're at 75 to 99, you're in the probabilities of success. If you're falling below that, it's fallen into the red line area where we consider that a failure uh, and you most likely will outlive your money. So you got to make some changes. And really, when you think about the changes, you know, once the plan tests those three things we talked about, your budget, your portfolio, and your wishes and wants against inflation, taxes, and volatility, you know, ups and downs in the markets over the last 30 years 30 and 10,000 combinations, it's beta testing that, stress testing it then there's really only five things you got to work with. You got to work longer, you got mm-hmm. to save more, you got to get more return. By taking more risk. In most cases, that not always, but that's most cases. Um, you're going to sacrifice your standard living in retirement or, or the legacy you're going to leave to the family. Yep, that's five options. And the earlier you start that planning process, the the longer you can make those adjustments. So maybe you don't have to sacrifice any of that. But if you just start planning two years before you decide to retire, it might be a little bit too late so one of those might have to be sacrificed you know our analogy for that was if uh, you know me being a mariner now that's right. that if the, the farther out that you have in distance to adjust for an obstacle the less adjustment it's slight if you get down and you're you know it's two feet ten feet away it's going to be sharp reaction and it's going to be a lot harsher and it, and it may hurt mm-hmm. so i mean those are things to consider when you're when you're looking at you know rest of your life this is a vacation coming off of that. Um, you know, I understand that because, you know, that's what retirement is, financial independence. And we got to experience that just the other day again with one of our clients, which is what we live for, yep. to see them once we compile that. And then finally, we've been working with Jim and Charlene for 10 years. And, you know, and then the other day I see that smile yep. and I get to high five them and say, that's what I live for, to see that look. It is. And be able to help them, you know, achieve that. And we've got some, uh, we got Dennis coming up here. He's uh, uh, Dennis and Pam. He's retiring. We had one actually this morning. Cheryl, she yeah. decided retired from Procter and Gamble, and she's literally leaving tomorrow morning for a thirty day vacation. So I mean, love it. That's what retirement's about. It's about having fun and doing what you want when you want to do it and who you want to do it with. Yeah, and once you know somebody that knows how to do this. You know, we like to say it's, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy, yep. you know, and, and once somebody can help us, I, I love that when I'm looking at something complex and, you know, and somebody professional makes that simple for me so that I can get my mind around it. I can understand it. If I can see the big picture, I can see, you know, the solution they're offering me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're a provider of, you know, all the financial tools and, and products and processes to help you. Uh, achieve that and that's that's really where we want to be we want to help people achieve that and be part of that solution but it's a wonderful thing or if you're working with somebody 
you know, we'll tell you what, uh, give you a second opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Tell you whether we think. I, I, you know, we've also experienced this quite a bit. The people, oh, I did a financial plan. And then they go in and they look at our program versus what they did. And they go, wow, this other one was telling me I was going to be okay. And yours is telling me that I'm going to fail. And mm-hmm. so we say, you know, ours is not the rosy program. We, it's going to take, you know, average rates of return or dynamic returns. And it's going to test it against a bad, an average scenario and a, and a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, if you want to hear the truth, if you can handle the truth. That's the hard part sometimes. Right. Well, you know, and then seeing <laughs> the solutions, you know, that's uh, it's sometimes like what we're going to talk about on today's show. When you're looking at portfolio risk and the allocation, those pretty little pie charts they give you. Well, what happens maybe when one of those pieces, the player, you know, which since we had the all-star game in here in that's Cincinnati, right. you know, it's been, it was 1988 the last time it was here. Is that when it was? And my oldest son, Dustin, was on the field you know, representing the local instructional really? leagues. Yeah. And I reminded him that he just had a birthday. <laughs> just turned 35. Um, but, you know, when you look at the players in your portfolio and when somebody's not doing their job, they let the whole team down. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about and how that plays out and what a risk that is to your overall game plan. Yep. And understanding the risks that you have, you know, either – direct risk or inherent risk because of what's going on in the economy today. Exactly. So some of these things you can manage sometimes, uh, uh, you know, navigate and other things, you know, you just have to plan for it and be prepared. Maybe, maybe you buy insurance for it. Yep. And that's a whole different world. You know, you can use options and, you know, different things to protect your portfolio. But, you, you know, you, you manage for the risk, you know, the known risks because you don't know what the unknowns are. That's right. Right. But you got to kind of plan for it because, uh, you just don't want to get bit blindsided by a 2008 downturn. Mm-mm. I don't know how many people that that took and extended their retirements or their working careers and pushed the retirement out. Well, we're going to dive into that in the next segment of the show, but you're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your no-nonsense wealth management host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. Money is an awesome thing If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings Hey, have you heard about the new long-term care alternatives? Many of you may know how I managed my mother's care and I took her through her money in the spend down into the veterans benefits. My father was a two-time Korean War vet and right into the Medicaid. She started out at $2,700 a month in assisted living and at the end of her life, two years later, it was over 8,000. The three concerns I hear the most about long-term care insurance protection is that it's expensive, the premiums are rising, and I may never use it. Well, why don't you try what I did? I bought a life insurance long-term care. They can't cancel me. The premiums can never go up. And, oh, yeah, I can spend that death benefit before I die if I'm critically, chronically, or terminally ill. Be sure and ask your advisor today. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. Well, welcome back to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your no-nonsense host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. Eric, we're on this topic. Let's jump into this because this is an important piece. You know, it's in the puzzle. And um, again, as the whole summer, we've been focusing on your financial plan, like a financial GPS for your future and portfolio risk and allocation. Now, you know, the um, don't want to get terminology heavy, but 
a CFA in our industry, a certified financial analyst, is somebody who goes in and analyzes components, building components of portfolios. And that's a pretty objective process because they're looking at historical aspects of what happens to certain asset classes and, and how they typically you know, behave or shall we say even misbehave. So uh, the work of really asset allocation came from the work of Harry Markowitz in 1951. He's the father of modern portfolio theory. And he's the guy really that said, hey, standard deviation on the bottom, if you look at those L-shaped charts, um, the bottom line is the risk, measure standard deviation from the quote-unquote norm, and return is up the, the up bar. So typically, the more risk you take, the more return you get. So when you actually put together and you put your portfolio into the financial plan, there's actually a page in one of the reports that shows you exactly where you're at. But it also analyzes how that you feel about risk. That's another piece that we do. Mm -hmm. And then you want to see if those connect or they disconnect. Because oftentimes, most of the people that we're working with, um, you know, 32 years and counting now, what, almost 40 years between the two of us, yep. that we see that most people are within their risk tolerance. But the, the challenge is this, is that the market is moving. The market dynamics are changing. And so you may have said, hey, I feel this way. However, your portfolio is farther out on the risk, you know, measurement standard deviation than what you're comfortable with, but you didn't realize it moved. That's right. And it's maybe because you didn't rebalance your portfolio. Maybe it's because just the investments you, you own haven't performed, but going back to what Rick mentioned at the beginning was the modern portfolio theory. They've done, our, one of our CFAs did a snapshot every 10 years going back to 1950. In modern portfolio theory, the thesis of it played out. The more risk you took, the better the return was. However, from the 10 years of 2000 to 2010 is the first time that we call it the yield curve inverted. So it's actually the most, the more risk you took, the less the reward you got, and the less risk you, you took, the more reward you got. So let me say that in English for the listener. So where you typically would say a stock, you, of course you're taking more risk and in, in most cases, and you'd be getting more return, expecting more return. And you would expect less risk, less volatility with bonds and less return. However, what I just heard you say is that for the first time, the bonds were on top, taking less risk and getting more return, and the stocks were on the bottom of that. It, it completely flipped a 180. That's correct. And, that's, and if people don't understand why that happened, they might not understand why it could possibly happen in the future, why it might not happen in the future. Because stocks, they will work. Bonds, every investment out there works, just not every investment works in every single market. And that's one of the pieces to risk and allocation. It's understanding what type of market you're in. I mean, think about it from 2000 to 2010. What was one of the big factors in, in, you know, that helped bonds outperform? Well, one of them was we saw a declining interest rate environment. Bonds perform extremely well in a declining interest rate environment. We've seen that where we've been at 0% since 2009. Almost 10 years. So you, you fast forward the next 10 or 15 years. We're not saying it's going to happen, but we're in the boat. Interest rates more than likely will probably start climbing. And if bonds did extremely well when interest rates were falling, imagine what's going to happen if interest rates go back to their norms. So when things get distorted in the market, now we talked about the way it quote unquote traditionally functions. So if I looked at four asset classes, generally speaking, stocks, bonds, cash, and alternatives, mm -hmm. when we look at how those 
typically behave, we look at the period of time in, in 2007 and eight where stocks were in a bubble, um, which is to say they were higher than they should have been. Mm-hmm. They were stretched out beyond their norm. And historically, every time in the market we've had a bubble, every one of them corrected. That's not, there are no exceptions to that. It's always happened. Uh, now, no guarantee that's going to happen in the future, but you just got to go. I'll go with history on that one. Me too. Right? <laughs> so I look at bonds right now, and most of the market sees that, A, they think interest rates are going to eventually go up. You can, you're coming off a of zero virtually. Mm-hmm. So they have to go up at some point. Um, and when, like a teeter-totter, when interest rates go up, the bond yields go down. And the bond market is in a bubble. So I don't know how that bubble compares to the stocks in 2008. It could be that bad or it could be worse. And one of the scarier pieces with that is, think of what, there's sixty or there's um, 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day for the next, what, 10 or 15 years. What have you been told during your entire working career? As you get closer to retirement, get out of the stock market and get more fixed income or bond heavy. Well, if you have... 92 million baby boomers that are either in retirement or going to be retiring here within the next few years, and it's been ingrained in them to buy fixed income, they could be buying fixed income at probably one of the worst times in history we've seen so far of when people actually bought fixed income investments solely because of where interest rates are at today. Let's make a distinction here in fixed income because if you fixed income meaning bonds, okay, there are different kinds of bonds. So there are uh, there's corporate bonds. There's government agency bonds, municipals, and, and whatnot, where they all have a rating. So, and then you have, of course, junk bonds, which are typically the corporate market, and these are slow-pay, no-pay people. These are riskier. They're riskier. Companies. So you, you would expect more yield out of that or more uh, a higher coupon or dividend yeah. because of the risk factor. So those components, those being understood, now what we're talking about is bonds as an asset class. Now, if you physically hold the bond itself, you actually bought the bond, you know, when that thing comes due, maturity date, if it's not called, if the, if the entity that issued it is viable, if they're still there, you'll get your money back. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're talking about, though, is when, when bonds trade to a premium or a discount, you're better to buy in a discount because then when, when it does come due, you're getting that and that adds to your total return. What we're talking about is the demand goes in you're paying a premium for the bonds. You could be paying 105% and only getting 100% out when it matures. When it matures. So if you're actually holding the bond, we're not recommending here, again, these aren't recommendations. We're just talking about the functionality of that, that most likely you're going to get your money back. Now, the coupons aren't real high because the interest rates aren't high. They no. don't have to pay very much. And if you're getting 5 or 6% on a bond, you're probably in junk. Right now. now, that's very that contrasts very different than if you're buying a mutual fund. And it's a bond fund because, like, think of it again like the teeter-totter. If you're actually owning the bond, you're closer to the middle of the Mm teeter-totter. There's not as much volatility or swing. The more that you're in mutual funds, you're out on the end of that, and interest rate changes because, you know, mutual funds have to redeem every day at net asset value, NAV. And so because of that, it gets whipsawed a lot worse because it's the fund that owns the bonds, not you. That's right. You're owning shares of the fund. So, again, you just have to be aware of how these function or how they're dysfunctional. Now, when we start to look at a typical portfolio, I know that we personally, again, not rec- recommending this, 
we are finding alternatives to bonds. Mm-hmm. And we won't go into that today because that's a whole different disclosure. <laughs> but, you know, when we look at that, we got to find something that's functional, more functional than not. And we talked about this several shows ago, so I think all the disclosures were in that one. You can go back to that show, and, and what was the name of that show? That was, I think we were looking at, um, uh, maybe it was the income. It was the income or the the different type of investments. Where your inflows are coming yes. from. It was the inflow one that we did on, on June 12th originally. Correct. So you go back and listen to that show, we talk about what alternatives are. And so we won't, this show isn't for that. It's just talking about how this risk and the functionality. So let's let's use an example. So what if, you know, we got the all-star, we got the best players, you know, that we can possibly have on the field. But let's say the first and second basemen aren't functional for some reason. They're not playing their position. They're playing like outfielders. Well, everybody that gets a hit, you're never going to get anybody out at first. That's right. Because they're playing like outfielders, right? So, you know, that's the kind of thing that can happen in the world of investments when things shift the nature and the and the foundation of things have shifted. It's altered how they how they used to function, mm-hmm. and I will call them dysfunctional. And the only way you're going to catch that is if you if you personally are constantly monitoring or watching it, or if you have a professional who does it for you. Because things are going to change. Rick and I will tell you that things you know we know one thing for certain: things will change in the future. We just don't know what it is and how it's going to change. So if you're not watching it, you might not catch that change. Exactly, and it's it's. It's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So if you love doing this yourself, hey, God bless you. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, I know we do it, and we read and do market reports every day because we're looking at how the market trades things because it's, it's not always about fundamentals either. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, you know, and let's face it, Wall Street runs the markets. And so if somebody is on the opposite side of a trade, we call it long and short. So long as if you believe it's rising short, if you think it's falling. Well, somebody's on the wrong side of the trade, they're on the short side, that the market may run that up and in essence manipulate the market so they can sell their short positions. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with the fundamentals or functionality of the market. That's right. In or terms of what's actually happening. Beneath that, it has everything to do with what Wall Street's doing. Mm-hmm. So when we look at that, and you know, people will say now, you know, owning bonds in a portfolio it's kind of like watching grass grow <laughs> or paint dry. Not um, fun. It's pretty boring. However, you take those out of your portfolio, you take that piece, which you want. When I want something that's not a stock, I want it to not go down when the stock market goes down. I want a good coupon or dividend, and at the end of the term, I want my money back. Mm-hmm. That's what I expect. If you get capital appreciation where it actually rises in value, the principal amount, and you get a tax break or something, you're in a bonus round. So we're looking for something. Again, we're using alternatives for that functionality because bonds very well is, is interest rates rise and stocks, you know, let's say stay the same or they rise. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could have bonds falling. Let's say stocks fall. Stocks could fall with bonds, which is correlation. And that's exactly, that's the opposite in the, it's the opposite reason and purpose of managing portfolio risk and allocation. And, you know, one of the questions I know we always hear quite often is, well, if the bond market is, isn't going to be a good place to be and say for the next five, six years, well, why don't we just dump all of our bonds and be all stocks? 
well, if you're an ultra aggressive client and you can handle the volatility, that might be a solution. However, if you're a conservative client or you're in retirement and the financial plan tells you you don't need to be taking this risk, you need to be able to offset that. You don't need to own 100% stocks. You need these alternatives that function kind of like what a bond does in a normal market. And that's the reason that we're spending so much time on that piece is you need bonds, and typically people need some sort of bond-like or bond investment in a portfolio. And I don't want to be uh, you know, basic here, but I guess for, for lack of a better term, that's what we're going to have to be. So think of it like this, because the, the risk that is run is just like what would happen in 2008. The market actually sold off 50% and netted out about a 37% loss when you look at the S&P 500, which is 500 stocks in an index you can't directly invest into. But when you look at that measurement and say, okay, if you lose 50%, what do you got to make to get even? 100%. So we look at that and say that delayed in some cases some people's retirement because they last they, at least on paper they lost half their portfolio mm -hmm. you know at least the part that was exposed to stocks so that's the very thing that this is supposed to be taking out now we're in a kind of market where we see and again this is our opinion um we see a market that's pretty much trading sideways we don't see a lot of in the near term, and I say five years or so, we don't see strong growth. Because again, we don't have consumption. And this is a demographic component. We work with, uh, you know, HS Den, who are independent, you know, demographic research analysts. And the bottom line is the more 46 year olds you have in the United States, the more peak consumptive spending you have. So if you lay that down, the baby boomers like a train, and say, okay, how many 46-year-olds do we have? Well, people born between 1932 and 64 really in that category, which is me. And so if it was a train, the, the engine of the train is 83 this year and the caboose is 51. Well, the train left the station five years ago. Now, we continue down on a trend for the next five years. And then around 2022, your generation, the millennials at number 80 million, start turning 46 again. And that's most likely what we see from a demographic view. So in the meantime, you're going to have a paranormal market. You're going to have artificially low rates. You're going to have central banks around the globe stimulating, which this is not a guarantee. It tends to cause stocks to go up and currencies to become weaker to try to get an export advantage, which is why we're getting such mixed information here, because we're coming off of our stimulus, and the Fed can't even raise rates confidently a quarter of a point. So, I mean, that's a challenge, but that's the market we're in. And that's how we see it. That's how we see this playing out. So that it makes it all the more important, if you're looking at retirement, what we have seen in every scenario we've tested is if you're taking money, now you can have a 30-year retirement. And you can have, you know, three severe down years in that 30 years. If you get those three down years in the first three years and you're drawing income, we have never seen a portfolio or scenario recover from that, mm -mm. ever. So we're talking about you have to find things that are going to lower your risk but give you durable income alternatives. You have to find those components. Retirement's about income. You know, it's about cash flow. And that's what you need those investments to kick off is income and cash flow. And think of it like the goose and the golden eggs. You, you want the goose to be laying eggs. Don't eat the goose. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you go into your bank and you feel like you owe them, right? You can't get a decent interest rate. You know, and it's not keeping pace with inflation. Well, that's a problem. That's cost of living stuff. You got to eat. If you want to travel and you want to do some of these other things, well, 
Now I look on the other side of that and say, again, that's what you were saying before. Well, what if you're in stocks? Well, look at a portfolio that typically maybe uh, spins off dividends. Because if the stock will stay even and it gives me a good dividend from something that people have to have, that's functional. Mm -hmm. That's more functional than not. But understand you're in a stock. So it could go down as long as you don't sell the shares and that, that share is still creating that dividend. Well, that's what you're bought it for, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully not for capital depreciation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to buy a loser. Can, can you tell me which one? I've had people tell me that, you know, in 32 years. They say, well, I can tell you which one's going to go down because it's the one I just bought, whatever <laughs> it is. So, well, yeah, you need a professional. Need somebody. We can't guarantee that's not going to happen, but. What did we hear from one of our, our main guys on our fees? He says his manager used to say when they got one right, he'd say, well, that's one in a row. That's right. It's one in a row. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a roll. Because <laughs> there are no guarantees in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different scenario. You buy alternatives and you got to find something, that, again, more functional than dysfunctional. But we'll continue on this topic with portfolio risk allocation and how that plays out in your overall game plan and your financial plan um, and strategies to help you navigate this market. So you're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your no-nonsense wealth management host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. Money is an awesome thing If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings Hey, Rick Saylor here. Have you considered the options for maximizing Social Security? Three things I can tell you about it. It cannot legally go broke. It's an all or something system. And smart planning involves strategically integrating this with the rest of your income choices. Don't make the $100,000 mistake by not planning appropriately. Consider retirement income, survivor, and spousal benefits because there's 81 options for couples and only nine for singles. Options and strategies like file and suspend or claim now and claim more later. The difference between age 62 and age 70 is 57% more income for life. So be sure and ask your advisor today about Social Security planning. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. You're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your no-nonsense wealth management host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. So, Eric, we're... uh, on this topic, finishing up here with a portfolio risk and allocation. Now, some of the things we were talking about, how these pieces, you know, stocks, bonds, cash, uh, and how alternatives can function. And you want a good mix of these. You want to get the right ratio. You know, there is no perfect ratio. It really comes down in large part to two things, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. How they feel about risk and how they think about it, which can't aren't necessarily the same. And the other one that I would say that's uh that's important is how is that how are those pieces functioning so you know think of it like lanes on a highway and we have a a risk tool that manages how you feel Mm -hmm. because we've been given this test for how many years and everybody does those well how you think about risk how you feel about risk i think is probably more important because that's what they call uh the psychology of investing because most investors are their worst enemy their own worst enemy because they're buying when they should be selling and they're selling when they should be buying. Yep. Uh, because it's, it should be more of an objective process, but it's more subjective because they're letting their feelings run their, you know, when they buy and sell. And part of it, you know, we have a, we have a memory. We think back to when, Hey, you know, I don't want to lose like I did in 1987. I don't want to lose like I did in 2001. I don't want to lose like I did in 2008. 
I keep going backwards here. I end up where I was how many years ago? And that's and that's um, I'm sure many of you have heard of J.P. Morgan. Well, they release a guide to the markets, and they went from 1995 to 2014. The average investor's yield, mainly due to we feel the emotional side, which Rick just mentioned, the average yield per year is 2.5 percent. During that same time, the S&P 500 did 9.9 percent. Bonds did 6.2, gold did 5.9, oil did 5.7, and inflation was 2.4. But yet that average investor only um, returned a little over 2.5% per year. And a lot of it's because they let that emotional, they let that objective side get the best of them. And that's what risk allocations, it's a process, it's a strategy. It doesn't work 100% of the time. No, these aren't guaranteed processes. However, it's it's a probability of success. So let's go back to this. How do they feel about risk? So we can send you a link to a test and in three minutes, you'll know how you feel. It'll score from one to 99. If you are scoring one to 33, you're going to be a a more conservative investor because that's how you feel. Mm -hmm. The 34 to 66, that's like the middle lane. And depending on where you are in that middle lane, you're moderate. If you are 67 to 99, hey, baby, you're in the fast lane. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we we will also counsel, coach, whatever you want to tell somebody that we say, hey, you know, we don't know that this is a good market to be in the fast lane. You may feel that way. However, you know, we would spot buy certain things where we like a better risk reward relationship in that particular asset class. But basically speaking here, generally speaking, we've got most of our clients in the moderate and they could be anywhere in that middle lane, uh, to conservative uh, in a in a more dividend-paying kind. So you, you look at preferred stocks that have dividends in necessary services. People got to eat. Uh, they got to have medical services. They got to have medical medicine. You got to have gas and retail. Mm-hmm. You know, not recession-proof, but recession-resistant. So it does well in, in bad times, and it does better in good times. So if you think of that as kind of an analogy or, a, or an overview, a macro view of that. So when we're looking at that, you know, the key with this is, is if you can just live on the principle, so to speak. Live on interest. Just live on the interest but not touch your principle. You don't, don't eat goose. Mm-mm. None of your recipe in retirement should involve goose, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Don't eat the goose that lays the eggs. You know, then you're not, you're not going to most likely run out of money before you run out of life. Correct. You know, and there's some other things I know we talked about before that can be very helpful. Optimizing things like Social Security. Draw it at the right time because it's a, it's a, a quote-unquote pension mm-hmm. source that will be adjusted for cost of living adjustments. So if you do smart strategies with that, and I know we're going backwards here when we talk about that article that, uh, that those two smart guys from uh, CFPs that put together. Alpha, beta. Alpha, beta, and Gamma. So Alpha, beta is that. Alpha is the upside capture efficiency. Beta is the downside risk factor. Um, gamma is this other component of doing smart allocation, optimizing Social Security, maybe using annuities. So there's five different strategies. Selling from the high point, you know, high values, pieces in your portfolio, not the low ones, uh, can make your money last longer. And it added, what, 22.6% more income over life? Yeah, like 1% a year or something over 30 years. So, you know, all these things add up in, in making you more successful, giving you a higher, higher probability of success. And then you can input that into the plan and you want to see that needle move. Mm-hmm. You want to see it move toward 99. 
and if you're you know if you're if you're below 99 and you make a change and it hasn't moved that needle you know don't trade a known for an unknown so it's just understanding what you have and understanding the market you're in and not trying to hit home runs every single at bat right now you don't need that stock to make 50 percent a year right now maybe you just need to be focused on hitting those consistent singles and doubles now here's one of the things we hear a lot people get all confused about how do i compare how do i baseline compare how i'm doing to what you know what i should be doing or what the benchmarks now benchmarks are things you can't directly invest in but let's say for example you test out on the risk uh how you feel about risk and you're in that moderate category in the middle way typical benchmark should look like 60 percent stocks and 40 percent bonds and cash now, when you use a benchmark, what we call hybrid benchmarks, that's how you measure and say, okay, well, how did that benchmark do and how did I do? Mm-hmm. How did my managers do, my mutual fund, my whatever? And that's how you benchmark that. It's not, I mean, the S&P 500 is the most quoted. It's one of the best representations. You can't directly invest in it because it has a mixture of large cap, mid cap, and small cap companies. And what the top 15% of the companies mm-hmm. Are large cap the next 20 percent or so in the middle or mid cap and the bottom you know are considered small caps could be a little misleading they're not small companies no but that's a 100 percent bond bench or 100 percent stock benchmark and who who does this so unless you have people go to vegas that's right so unless your entire portfolio is all stocks when you benchmark it to the s p you're you're not giving you're not giving yourself justice because you're not trying to beat that benchmark that's not your goal unless you're all stock you need to you need to be benchmarked to a comparable. So that's why it takes software. It takes uh, a professional to understand what that goal is and what that actual benchmark is to make sure you are on pace. And you're going to want access. If you're wondering about this, and this is fascinating, you just look at the world of certified financial analysts. That's what they do. And we have somebody who uh, is part of our producer group who pr- provides that for us and analyzes that so that we can just take the what we think are the best building components in those models and then we work with the things that are dysfunctional because they're not going to look at it and go okay well you need to take you know bonds you know we're just going to show us bonds you know we say okay well we don't like that piece so we're going to move that out and we're going to use you know the alternatives we know mm-hmm. and so again trying again in the in the focus of making it more functional take the appropriate amount of risk and that's one of the things we also have to tell people a lot we're constantly looking at the right risk reward relationship on any given investment or asset class and there are certain things i got to tell you this is just where we're at we are not broad we're not deploying models at this point so we have models and we don't just take capital and put it into the market in our models we're spot buying Mm -hmm. and there may be 10 things that we have on our radar that we like um and they're in a vast range of, of, of representation of what they're doing but again i would be looking if you're looking at an alternative you'd want to be looking for something that's going to respond well when interest rates go up not something that's going to get head slapped and there are you know there are opportunities in every market it just might not be the same opportunity in each market exactly and there are perils mm-hmm. so you got to weigh those and know those and uh, again, we've got a lot of information that, that in a lot of data points and a lot of feeds that we're looking at to, to come up with the analysis and the representations and recommendations we do. Yep. So you're getting a, a good, bad, and, and ugly mm-hmm. kind of scenario. Um, 
and it's given you all three. So what is the likelihood? Is it probable anything's, you know, or possible? Anything. Not all things are probable. And as we look, if you're not getting our e-newsletter, Rick's View, uh, you should subscribe and get an absolutely free subscription to that by just going on to uh, straighttalkcleardecisions.com. On the left-hand side, you can sign up for that. You would be getting the feed of how we see this. And and if, if I'm not you know, digesting it and regurgitating this, you know, in some fashion, I will actually pick up guests, uh, you know, things that we like. And, and one of them that just came out last week is, you know, the, the, the Greek exit is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be bad for the Greek people because I understand that they would not be on the euro. You know, they, they're not sovereign. They do not have their own currency. But if they go back onto their own currency and the drachma, They'll, they'll probably most likely see hyperinflation overnight because nobody's going to like their or trust their. They, they've defaulted. <laughs> they live beyond their means. They have a three-day work week. You know, they've got, um, you know, pensions they pay out from age 45 at 80 or 90 percent of people's pay for the rest of their life. Well, How is that sustainable? It's not. Unless you got somebody like the Eurozone is going to lend you money. Keep bailing you out. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the kind of things we look at. And, the, and, the, and you know, they're their contribution to the world GDP is about the size of my pinky. It's just not that significant. But I think it's more what's concerning is the contagion in there because there's 17, 18 other countries in the Eurozone. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about them leaving, exiting well. the Euro. Yeah, you know, because that's a, that's a big it's lobbying largest, group. Yeah, it's the largest trading block in the world, so they definitely are very important to the overall economy. And I think it's more about, you talk about Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain. They call them the pigs. Um, not because of who they are, but because it's just an acronym that you re- remember. But, you know, some of those countries are improving and healing, and some aren't. Mm-hmm. Some faster than others. But the bottom line is that uh, you just have to look at this realistically, understand, be able to, 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 to see the tools, and be able to apply that appropriate to your situation, A, how you feel, and B, which way does the tide go in? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, I still remember this story where, Matt came in, he was a referral, and, and his parents had been with us, uh, in-laws, and, and Matt was a young guy, he was an engineer at one of the local comp- companies here, GE, and he said, I'm aggressive, and this was in the summer of 2008, and we were walking our macro trends and the demographics, I said, you know, Matt, we see a downturn coming, if you lose 50%, what are you going to make to get even? He said, 100, I said, you want to do that? He said, no. I said, you're not aggressive in this market, that would not be smart. Now, I know the upper end of our spectrum, even though people were in that category, I think the most aggressive client, you know, lost 22.3% or something mm-hmm. in that downturn where the market lost 50. So, I mean, those are the kind of things you don't want to have because you've got time, interest rate of return, and the principal. Those are the three components in, in the wealth management, and you just have to consider that when you're looking at uh, where you're going. So, uh, hopefully this has been helpful. If uh, you want to contact us, info at straighttalkcleardecisions.com. Call us 513-454-9999. Visit us on the web at straighttalkcleardecisions.com and request any and all the educational items we want you to know. Make sure you catch our show next week on risk management and liability and insurance coverage. Well, you've been listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your no-nonsense host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg.